Taking your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 18. Our reading tonight in the Gospel of Matthew is chapter 18, verse 1 through 6. We heard last time we were in Matthew's Gospel, which was last Sunday evening, that the disciples were swinging and frequently missing. If you doubted me when I made that argument last Lord's Day evening, tonight should fully persuade you. We are beyond three strikes, but the Lord has not walked off the field. The Lord will not leave these men. They will be finished. Grace will triumph in their lives. And whenever you see the disciples showing how far they seem to be from understanding the kingdom that Jesus Christ is bringing and erecting and establishing by his body and blood, when you see them far from getting it, you are to be reminded that is another testimony to us of the grace of Jesus Christ to never lose one whom he has chosen. He conquers the ignorance, conquers the dullness, conquers the pride, conquers the worldliness. He conquers it all in his children. And whenever you meet a Christian, you think that is one of the finest Christians I've ever met. What you are really seeing is the polishing gleam of grace on that person's life. So tonight you're going to see a swing and a miss. And who's holding the bat? All 12. All 12 swing and miss with the question they put to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray and then read. Father, help us tonight. Help us understand your word. Benefit from what we hear and understand. Believe what we hear. And Lord, obey. Grant us by your Holy Spirit a reformation in our own believing and our own behaving. Conform us more and more to the truth. Order our heart more and more to Jesus Christ. Subdue our will more and more to his kingship and authority. Make it be our delight to be under him, to be taught of him, to follow him. Oh, help us, O oh Lord, or we cannot be helped. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 18. <clears throat> At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. This is God's word. 
<clears throat> it is hard to come up with one good question in a committee meeting of 12 men. Maybe this is why the question the disciples asked Jesus, recorded in verse 1, is so bad, so inappropriate. It's a question by committee. They want to know which one of them is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Which one of them is the most important? Which one of them is the most necessary? Which one of them is the most valuable? That's the question. Now, it is true they could have asked this in a worse way, uh, a slower way, a more humiliating way. They could each have taken turns asking Jesus one at a time, am I the greatest in the kingdom? The answer each time would have been a, a serious wound to each man's pride. So they decided, less painful, for all to hide behind the committee question. That way, when the disappointing answer did come, those not named could pretend they really didn't care that much after all. How did this question ever get boiling within the 12 disciples anyway? Well, we learn from Mark chapter 9, verse 34, that one of the secret arguments that the disciples were having one day while they were walking with Jesus was an argument about who was the greatest. And Jesus, who could tell that they were arguing about something and certainly knew what they were arguing about, Jesus says, what are you talking about? They didn't answer. The text says they stayed silent. They had enough dignity not to answer. But here's the origin story of this question in verse 1 of our text. As the disciples heard more and more from Jesus about the kingdom that he had come to establish, they began daydreaming about how they could have positions of honor in his kingdom. They knew other kingdoms had princes and governors and magistrates. Surely in Jesus' kingdom, they who were always with Jesus would have the top positions. They were fixed not on the question of how can I serve. They were fixed on the question, how can I be honored and respected and admired in this kingdom? You see, there's always a temptation, even in the heart of regenerate Christians, to, to look on the kingdom of Jesus Christ as the place we will pursue honor and self-glory. We know there is no greater institution present and at work in the world. We know there is no institution that will endure longer than the everlasting dominion of Christ's kingdom. Thus, we are tempted to associate with it so that we can take some of its greatness to ourselves. Pastors can think they are the most important people in the church. Musicians can think they are the most important people in the church. Church officers can think they are the most important people in the church. Missionaries can think they are the most important people in the church. Members with certain spiritual gifts, giving, hospitality, mercy, can easily begin to think that they and their gift is the most important in the church. 
Now, what I have been talking about does not originate in the church. I don't want you to think it does. It just finds a way to use the church. Where it originates is in the sinful heart of man. It is the old lust for status. The very common lust to want to stick out and be noticed by making use of a little self-promotion. Most of us have learned by just living in a society of fallen men and women to place these invisible badges on ourselves. We have learned to do this, to place these invisible medals on our chest so that we can look at ourselves in the mirror and have the status we find acceptable. So we might have the invisible badge that says, doesn't live in an apartment. That's a really big status badge in coastal California. We may look in the mirror and find on our chest the badge owns a home, owns some land, is married. Or your badge may say free thinker. Or it may say has more than one tattoo. Maybe being the rebel is your badge. There are so many ways that the lust for status is always present when we look at our, our life. And we determine that we are acceptable because we're the kind of people we find acceptable. And this has what to do with the church? Well, I'll tell you. This old lust for status is often brought into the church when men and women are brought into the church. And it never gets mortified. It never gets put to death. And it just finds a way to become sanctified. Not really, but we think it is. Because now, because we've never killed the lust for status, we just trade it out for status in holy things, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Don't think that the disciples have this status lust because they are involved in the kingdom. This comes from the sinful heart of man. It just looks for any place to thrive. Well, Jesus will help put this sin to death. And that's what he's doing in the following verses after the question. So verse 2, and calling to him a child, he put him or put the child in the midst of them. <clears throat> we should immediately notice Jesus is not quickly answering the question, is he? There is something wrong with the question. In fact, there is something wrong with the men who have asked the question. And so what is needed is not a straight answer, but remedial education. The disciples need to go back to school. And so somewhere along the way, they either were not listening or their hearts are hard. Remember, Jesus just called them, along with many others, a faithless generation. So Jesus presumably in verse 2, has stepped away from the disciples for a moment. He has found a child nearby, and he has brought the child into the midst of the 12 disciples, into the midst of 12 grown men. This is what we might call a shock tactic. A child is suddenly standing there. A child is suddenly the center of attention, brought in and welcomed by Jesus himself, 
It is all to be a penetrating revelation to these 12 disciples as to exactly what status they were called to when they were called to the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom, Jesus is now showing, with an object lesson, a visual, the kingdom, Jesus is showing, is a place to come and to be treated the way ancient societies generally treated children. Children were of the lowest rank. That's what this is about. Children had the least authority. It was the children who gave up their seats for adults. It was the children who went last, not first. People did not stand up and honor a child when the child entered a room. People did not stop talking to listen whenever a child started talking. Children were the lowest of status in the ancient world. And our Lord is visually showing his disciples before he explains the visual that this is what they were called to when they were called into the kingdom of heaven. Now, there are some commentators who try to divine that Jesus is saying there's some special virtue inside a child that he's calling for. That's not true at all. If you have children, you know that there's not often special virtues in children. Children need grace. The point that the Lord is making here is about rank, about status. There was no lower status in ancient societies than a child. Then he explains what he has just visually shown. Verse 3, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now he still hasn't answered the question because something more urgent is in line before the answer. The heart condition of these 12 men. Even though the Lord has chosen them, even though, even though they are, are confirmed in his love, even though they will finish the race, even though there will be a grace to bring them through the eye of the needle, he still speaks to them with urgency so that they themselves take the grace given to them and put their heart into the truth and away from the air. I'll read it again. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. To become like children simply means to accept for oneself the lowest status, the lowest authority, to accept that you are the one who is subject to others, not the one who is above others, all for the sake of Jesus Christ. What are children physically? Little. What are children socially? Little. Little ones. They are not in charge. In fact, no one wants them to be in charge. They are much closer to servants than they are to masters. And unfortunately, the disciples have this grown-up's mindset toward their status in the kingdom of heaven. They think, well, I've always wanted to be big time. I've always wanted to be a top man. I've always wanted to be a big man. I always wanted to be known in town. 
Now I'm going to be part of this kingdom. And they are bringing this grown-up lust, thinking that it will somehow work in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is saying, you can't even get into the kingdom of heaven. You will not be permitted entry if that's how you think about what the kingdom of heaven and you have to do with each other. Why must you accept? Why must you accept such low status for yourself if you are to enter the kingdom of heaven? Well, first, because this is the way of the king. This is the way of the king. He who brings the kingdom to us, he who opens the kingdom for us, he who purchases the kingdom by his blood, he, the king, became like a child among us. Meaning he took the lowest status socially among us. He became a transgressor and was crucified. I am among you as the one who serves, he said, Luke twenty-two, twenty-seven. Or as Paul says, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. If we do not become like children, it is a fundamental failure then on our part to recognize who Jesus is and where he has come from. He has descended to the lowest place so that he might raise us up. Beloved, to say, I am not going to descend, I am not going to enter that kingdom and be of low status is to completely misunderstand the king and his kingdom. Second, why must you accept such low status for yourself? Or other, in other words, why must you become like children to enter the kingdom? Second, you must because everything in the kingdom, everything is by grace. Everything. No one enters the kingdom because they are important or necessary or of high status. No one is recruited for the kingdom because of the reputation they can bring to the kingdom. Because they are so important, they will make us be more important. That is not what the kingdom of grace is about. All are sinners, one and all. There is then, in verse 4, a strong warning about not entering the kingdom. Such warnings are common from our Lord Jesus Christ. He frequently declares what will keep people out of the kingdom of God. That's really kind of him, isn't it? I want to know everything that could keep me out of the kingdom of God. Don't leave anything out. He leaves nothing out. Matthew 5.20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 7.21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 19.24. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
And then Matthew 23, 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. And here then again, in our verse 4, Jesus is warning us what will prevent us from entering the kingdom of heaven. And what it is, is simply this. If we refuse to enter the kingdom as beggars, as little children who need to be taken by the hand, who have no rights and privileges there, and are only there by a gracious welcome, if we refuse that, there is no other door for us. There is no other entry point for us. We must come as needy beggar children, or else we cannot come. But oh, how blessed we are if we come as needy beggar children. What a wonderful thing to become an heir of this entire kingdom. Though you are nothing, you have no status or rank. What a wonderful thing. This is the power and wonder of grace. So when the Lord says you must become like children, we should, we should recognize there's an echo here of other language he has used for the, for the new birth. You must be born again. This is part of his same language of calling us that we must be converted. We must be defeated from the old way of high-mindedness and brought through the low-to-the-ground keyhole of new birth. And the only way that miracle can happen, the only way a giant can be brought through a hole in the wall that's only big enough for a mouse is a miracle of grace. So let me just say this, because there could be any one of you among us tonight who is in danger of not entering the kingdom of heaven. Let me say it plainly. If you have thought too highly of yourself and thought that you were bringing something to God that he needed, you need to repent. And you need to call on him for grace tonight to defeat that haughty heart. Ask him. He loves to hear such prayers. Lord, defeat my high-minded, haughty heart. Reduce me to that small space so that I can fit into your kingdom. He will do it. <clears throat> so, then we come to, I, think I might have said verse 4 in the wrong time. Verse... Um, Verse 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Here's the answer. We've gotten to the answer to our question. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, the meaning of the Greek word translated in your Bible, humble, in verse 4, is best discovered by its usage later in Matthew 23. 23, verse 11, we read, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now that verse helps us see that we got to be careful not to come to verse 4 of tonight's text and import our modern idea that humility is all about an interior mood. That is not what Jesus is talking about. 
Whoever humbles himself is somebody who brings himself to a low status, who stops, who stops acting like he is a high-riding person and a necessary, important, everybody-honor-me kind of person, who stops exalting himself, is the man who humbles himself. To humble oneself does not mean to achieve this inner attitude of lowliness. It actually means to bring oneself down to a low status and then to stay there and then do what? Serve there. The same Greek expression, humbled himself, is used to describe the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ in Philippians 2.8. The same two Greek words that are in Matthew 18.4 are in Philippians 2.8, adjacent to one another, where it is translated this. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So here's the most radical example of voluntary loss of status. The Lord Jesus Christ. And when we read that he humbled himself, there is no suggestion that Jesus achieved a previously absent quality of humility. No, what it means is that he took a lowly servant status. And that's what our Lord means in 18.4. Whoever brings himself low, like this child, whoever sees himself of bottom rank, whoever becomes a servant, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Which brings us to verse 5. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Now, here the Lord is beginning to expand his range of meaning for this word child. And that expansion is going to follow for the rest of this chapter. Where you hear the Lord Jesus call disciples little ones, little ones, little ones. Here, beginning in verse 5, he's starting that expansion. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. The church, he is saying, will not ignore the little children of the world. Meaning the church will not be driven by a worldly spirit and look only to receive those of high status. Only to receive those of honor and fame and respect because we think they will bring the church honor and fame and respect. Jesus is blasting that worldly mind. Such ungodliness is wrong. Such ungodliness is forbidden. The church will look to receive the low status child, just like the one that's still standing in the midst of the disciples. But the church will receive that child. This is so important. The church will receive that child not for worldly purposes, but in the name of Jesus. Meaning the child is received to be made a disciple of Jesus. And receiving even a lowly child for this reason is receiving the Lord Jesus. He gives himself to that very work. But there is an expansion at work here too on the meaning of child. And we can see that expansion in the phrase one such child, which means not just the one singular child who is standing in their midst, 
but also the children all disciples of Jesus are to become. Remember, you are to become like children. So now even believers of age 40 and 80 are included, which means the church will look to receive all those who have become insignificant and unimportant and socially small because they are followers of Jesus Christ. Though rejected by the world for their low status, the church receives them and in this way receives the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it isn't difficult then to see when we get to verse 6 that Outside the church, we can expect that those of low status are often disregarded because they do not bring the honor and the fame and the celebrity and the importance that worldly institutions want from human beings. And so if you are from the wrong family name, from the wrong side of the tracks, or you're too young, or you're too deformed, and on and on we could go, the world rejects you. Jesus is making it clear that the church has no business to do that. If the church does, or if even a church leader does, there's a fundamental error in their understanding of the king and his own kingdom, which then brings us to verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck, and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Now, millstone execution was a common form of capital punishment in the ancient world. And it wasn't the worst. Among the worst was to be crucified, where for hours you were exposed to the hot sun and you were naked before all the public. And you had to listen to the mockery of men at your feet. And you slowly asphyxiated yourself on a stake in the ground. A millstone execution was the mode of capital punishment practiced by the Greeks, the Syrians, and the Romans. They would wrap a heavy stone around your neck, push you off a pier or a boat, and you would quickly be carried to your death, a death by drowning. It could be over in less than five minutes. In our text, though, our Lord is saying, it would be better to be killed this way than it would be to be found by the Lord Jesus Christ as one who caused one of his little ones to sin. Meaning it is much worse to be hunted and found out by the Lord Jesus that you took special pleasure in leading one of his little ones into sin, especially because you disregarded them by their low status. You thought they were nothing. You thought they were garbage. You didn't care that they belonged to Jesus Christ because you think he's nothing. And you thought his kingdom is garbage and not coming. 
And so you loosened all of your morals and you led his little ones to sin. To be, found by, to be found by him will be much worse than a millstone execution. The reason our Lord is saying this in verse 6 to his disciples is to set a certain urgency and fire in their bosom. That it is a great sin and danger for the leaders in the church to dismiss people because of their low status. And in that dismissal, get out of here, kid. Get out of here, deformed believer. Get out of here, handicapped believer. Get out of here, wrong side of the tracks believer. Get out of here. You don't help, you don't help our brand. You don't help us look honorable and respectable and important. Get out of here. We may never even say it out loud. We may always be saying it silently by our cold indifference. But the Lord is saying to church leaders, to think that you can look upon these folks and dismiss them without causing them to sin is a lie. Your dismissal will discourage them. It will teach them to hold the clergy and the services of Christ and the, and the worship of God all in contempt because of your neglect of them. And so he warns his disciples, there is great ruin ahead for those who continue with a worldly mind, thinking that the church only is interested in those who are respectable, important, and honorable. Beloved, this is our text tonight. And it is a reminder that the church of Jesus Christ always needs this kind of five-gallon bucket of cold water splashed upon her. The fact that Jesus would have such a strong, abrasive, assertive teaching for these 12 disciples at this point in his care of them is a reminder to the whole church that complacency is always nearby dropping our guard and softening and succumbing into this slothful worldly spirit about other believers and about what we are after is very, very much near and dangerous to our souls. We need to be arrested in our attention about what we are after and how we look upon one another. Let us pray for help. Our gracious God, forgive us. Forgive us for the ways in which we have lusted for status and that it has hardened our heart towards those little ones that belong to Jesus. I pray, Father, that you would forgive every church officer in this church, including myself, for any ways in which we have sinned against your little ones, any ways in which we have secretly wished that certain kinds of people would show up at our church that would lend it some kind of respectability, some kind of honor before the world. 
Oh, Lord, forgive us for the disdain that we have looked down upon others. Father, help us all. Help mothers and fathers not fail to see the little ones in their own care who believe in Jesus. Help fathers and mothers be careful and oh so prayerful, oh so much desperate before you, so that they would not lead the little ones under their care into sin. Oh, Father, we pray that you would continue to renew us all, renew our minds, renew our understanding of the kingdom, renew our understanding and love of the king. Drive out of us that worldly spirit that so, so easily surges and seeks dominance in us. Drive it out of us. Defeat it once and for all, we pray. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us by letting us see clearly again the great high and lifted up Savior who stooped to the lowest rank and became a sinner among us, though without sin, who became a crucified one among us, who, was, who let his body be nailed to the very tree he created. Oh, Lord, let us look upon his descents, his descent, and quickly make our own. In Jesus' name, amen.